0: You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned off to it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Welcome everybody, to Mosaic South. Can we give Mosaic South a greeting that are watching with us online, everybody? Again, thrilled to be here with you. I've waited for this day for quite a long time. So here we go. Last year, 2022 Lifeway research revealed that 1 in 5 American Christians say they will only attend a church where people vote exactly like they do. That number has nearly doubled in one election cycle. And when you consider as well that voting tends to though not always tends to fall along racial lines, those two factors can make church even more divided. Another team of secular researchers has noted that, quote, political polarization has all the earmarks of religion. And as a result, now as Americans are increasingly, as we saw, making politics their religion, not only are fewer people than ever, ever exposed to anyone different than them But also, as of Christianity Today notes, just a couple months ago, pastors and ministry leaders are leaving or considering leaving the ministry at a record high rate, citing stress, burnout, and political divisions as primary reasons. Now, nobody get nervous. I'm doing good. All right. (laughs) But political divisions, they said, they researched, have the power to split entire churches and denominations. And in the end, right now, Americans overall, Pew Research 2022, are more divided than they've ever been since the Civil War. What can help bridge the gap? What can help heal the divide? Well, fascinatingly, all the way back in 1954, a social scientist, Dr. Gordon Alport, was asking the same question at the height of the Jim Crow South. And he asked this, what could help bring... And keep people together who are deeply, dramatically different. And from that question, he developed something people still use today. It's called social contact theory. Social contact theory says there's four things whereby prejudice can be reduced. That people have equal status in a group, share common goals, have intergroup cooperation, they work together, and have the support of leaders. Awesome. But then a few decades later, a fifth and final factor was found, a factor that the Bible, the Christian scriptures, has held out all along. Gordon Alport discovered it's as powerful as the other four, maybe even combined. He added a stunning fifth condition to his list, and he said this, Friendships have the power to reduce forms of prejudice as much as any other form. Of contact, In other words, what social scientists are now just telling us is what the Christian faith, and more specifically the book of Ruth, has told us for literally thousands of years. I'll summarize it like this. Friendship can save the world. Yeah. And that idea is what we'll be looking at for the next four weeks. Not that friendship always does save the world or friendship always has saved the world, but that friendship always can. And the reason I know that friendship always can is because friendship did save the world once upon a time in the book of Ruth. So let's see where all of this begins right here, right now in chapter one, verse one. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Very good. All right. Ruth chapter one, verse one, it says in the days when the judges ruled. So we see here the Book of Ruth takes place in roughly 1300 B.C. in the lawless time of the Judges. That's sort of the Wild West in Bible history. It's after Moses and the Red Sea. You know that part. Before David and the monarchy. You may know that part. And so into this no man's land in redemptive history wander three women. Naomi. Orpah, and Ruth. There are three women living, and this is crucial to catch, in the land of Moab. Now, that's a peculiar place to start any Bible story, because after all, the Old Testament is particularly about Israelites in the land of Israel, not about Moabites in the land of Moab. All right, so why do we begin in Moab. Well, it says there was a famine in the land, verse one and two. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab And live there. So we begin here in Moab because Naomi's husband named Elimelech moved his wife and family there when a famine struck the land. They left the little town of Bethlehem, whose name literally means house of bread, now ironically with barren of bread grocery shelves, and moved to the enemy, hostile. Hated, despised, and feared neighboring nation of Moab, perhaps Israel's greatest racial and political enemy. See, Moab was a people who had not only refused to help Israel in their not-too-distant past, but in one of the strangest stories of the Bible, had once tried to put a curse on Israel's people in order to attack them. And defeat them. Yes, you remember the one about the talking donkey. That's that story. And as a result, therefore, no Moabite, said Deuteronomy 23.3, was ever allowed to ever worship the one true God in the assembly of the Jewish people. Am I painting the picture? But Elimelech moved there. He moved to Moab, where commentators say he likely lost his faith. He gave his two sons Moabite names and they took Moabite wives, something expressly forbidden to do by the law of God. And then there things went from bad to worse. Verse three, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So where would the women go? What could the women do? Verse six, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So all three women set out on the 50-mile One week walk over dangerous terrain, hoping for a new life back in Bethlehem where, rumor had it, bread was back on the shelves at the H-E-B. Now, for those listening in online today who live outside Texas, you know, in the land of Moab, uh, somewhere, some other state, H-E-B is the world's greatest grocery store. Thank you. All right, got you back. now. Anyway, along the way, Naomi realized what her two daughters-in-law back home likely faced, poverty and prejudice. So she said, verse eight, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So At first, Ruth and Orpah, and yes, this is where a certain American mother, many years later, got the name for her future powerful TV show-creating empire-creating daughter, when she mistakenly switched the R and the P at birth name comes from. At first, the two Moabite women say they'll stay, but Naomi insists a second time, and this time she gets real, y'all. You can go read her speech for herself. This time she's like, I'm going to summarize. She's like, all right, ladies, listen. (laughs) The only way this is going to work out well for you is if we all go back I get married again, but like, let's be real, the odds of that aren't so good. I've lost my looks and I've gotten kind of grouchy. Who's gonna want that? And not only would I have to get married, long shot, but then I'd have to have kids, another stretch. And then you'd have to wait for those kids to grow up so you could marry them, we're talking 20 years plus, even if all of that broke that way. Are you sure you're here for that? And when Naomi paints that picture, Orpah goes, well, you know, the lady's got a point. Adios. And then it says, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Now, it's so tempting to want to make Orpah the villain here, is it not? It is. And therefore, one Jewish legend actually did. Real quick, one Jewish legend estimates this moment happened at the five-mile mark of their journey. And for leaving Naomi and walking back, Orpah became, in this one Jewish legend, the mother of Goliath (laughs) and his four brothers, receiving one awful giant son per mile marched. Yes, as penance. But as the last here, the last bit of cultural comfort leaves, what will Ruth do as the last? Can you see connection to her culture, to her people, to her way of worship walks away? As the last person like her leaves her life, what will she do? It says, oh, but Ruth clung to Naomi. How can friendship save the world Well, it's through the power, we're gonna explore this, the power that Ruth gives us right here, it's through the power of clinging. See, when others, I'll paint it like a picture like this, when others around us only kiss us goodbye when we really need them, when they walk back when battle lines are drawn, when they say see ya when the going gets rough, Ruth does something remarkable. And she makes arguably the most beautiful and powerful promise, not only in the Bible, but in all of human literature. It's right here in verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you Or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So not only is Ruth converting here to faith in the one true God, but she is making the powerful, hear me, multi-ethnic, multi-generational choice to cling to her mother-in-law and stay with her all the way to the very end. And over the next few weeks, yes, the month of September and October 1st, we'll see Ruth makes not only this promise, but she keeps this promise. And through this promise of friendship, and fidelity. She saves Naomi's life and through that saves the world. But it all began right here when Orpa kissed, but Ruth clung. And this shows us we don't need, don't just need kissers in our lives. We need clingers, need clingers. Now some of you're saying, I don't know, I think I'd actually kind of prefer a kisser. You know what I mean, and we don't just need to be kissers; we need to be clingers, not clingy. That's different. And if that is you, we have an amazing team of counselors here at Mosaic to help you work through that and process that. Not to be clingy, but to be clinger is the word for cling in the, in the Old Testament. Is the word debak? Uh, debake. It means to stick like a shadow, which you just can't shake. See where you're. You go, your shadow goes. Where Naomi would go, Ruth would go. Ruth stuck with. She shadowed. She stayed. She clung. Now this, again, isn't about sticking to those who fundamentally abuse us in some way some fundamental injustice, that's not about that. I'm not talking about that, take that off the table. I'm just talking about right here, with us, right here, right now, as a diverse people, a room full of Ruth's and Naomi's, as people, come on, of different ethnicities and generations, as we face an uncertain future in front of us in our nation, what will we do Hmm? What will you do? What will we choose to save the world? Let me tell you, we don't need to be Orpahs, but Ruths, not kissers, but clingers. So why don't we do that? I mean, if that's what the text has been telling us for centuries, why don't we do that? Why don't we cling? Why don't we cling? Somewhere in my not-too-distant past, someone who had been here at Mosaic for a number of years, someone I'd walked through a number of difficulties with who had, in my opinion, uh, been cared for extensively by a number of people here through a lot of tough situations in his life, he made an appointment with me and he didn't give a reason. Now, I've been doing this long enough to know that when you make an appointment with me and you don't give a reason, it means you've got a problem. (laughs) It means there's something wrong. Otherwise, you'd have said something different, All right? And that's okay, in part, I'm supposed to be paid to help you solve your problem. At least try. And there was a problem this day, because he came in, sat down, looked at me across my desk, and he said, Pastor, I'm leaving Mosaic. And I asked why, and he said this. He said, it's because my politics aren't accepted here. Quote, unquote. I said, what do you mean? He said, whenever I say something about my political beliefs here, I get pushback. I said, well, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing because I'm pushing back on you right now. Okay, all right. I said, in a couple of ways, I said, first of all, pushback is many times just how we grow, right? And pushback is part, I think, of a healthy discipleship culture in a local church. Our parents, after all, have offered us pushback, yes. Our teachers do, our coaches do, Your pastors do. Sometimes friends in a church will as well. The Bible does. God does. Dictators are the only ones who can't handle pushback. Now, I said everything just like that, except for that last line. I didn't actually say that last line to him. I thought about it. I'd say it. But that last line's true, too. Anyway, second, I said knowing where he stood, I think roughly in his views, I said you should know that people on the Other side from you, come in my office and say the exact same thing. They tell me they get pushback from people like you in your position all the time. And he sat there and stared at me like I had just told him the sun did not exist. Like there was no way that was true here. He said, really? I said, really? Like almost every day. He said, fine, but I just want to be in a church where my political beliefs are accepted. So I said to him this. I said, so let me get this straight. So you're saying what's most important to you in a church is not having a church that preaches the gospel, first and foremost. It's not adherence to the Bible and the Christian scriptures as the inspired and authoritative forever word of God for all peoples. It's not a focus on discipleship and doing mission together and reaching the next generation. Are you saying that what's most important to you is having politics and a candidate in common, not Jesus of Nazareth and his word. And he said, when you put it like that, I guess no, but I'm just exhausted. And my heart sank because I got it. I mean, there it is. Why don't we cling? Why don't don't we act like Ruths? Instead, why do we act like Orpahs? It's because we just get exhausted. See, in a multi-ethnic, multi-generational space, What sometimes grinds us down are two things, not only the desire to worship the way maybe we used to, like Orpah did with her old gods, her old way of worship with people just like her. But what makes us tired is also the simultaneous sheer difficulty of remaining in relationship with those unlike us when we don't know what the future holds. Like Ruth didn't know what the future held, right? We don't know if we'll ever, like Ruth, ever be accepted by someone different. Yeah. See, we don't cling because of the cost it takes to stay. But we should. And we must. Because, listen, it's not, it's not kissing. It's clinging that saves the world. So what if, what if, what if today, again, we chose to be Ruth's? And not orpas, What if we said to one another in the middle of whatever wrestling we're going through right now, whatever wrestling we're going to face over the next season of time, what if we said to those people around us what Jacob said to that angel in the desert, listen, as he wrestles him, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not quitting on you. I'm clinging to you until you bless me. What if we talked like that? What if we extended the power a friendship like that to one another. Yeah. So where can we get the power to do that? To cling and not to kiss. Well, let's look again once more at Ruth's powerful words. She said this, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you Die, I'll die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Where did she get the power to say all of that? Hear me. She got that power through a kind of a death, of a death. That is, it was the death of a man that set her free. The death of a man set her free. Her husband had died freeing her from having to stay in her old life in an old land with people just like her. And in the same way, hear me, it's the death of another man, come on somebody, who can set us free and give us the power to say these same words to one another. What do I mean? I mean this. Do Ruth's words sound like someone else's words? Oh, they should because they do. When Jesus Christ came out of the world and he saw us, he saw you and he saw me and he saw us standing on the road to nowhere, spiritually speaking. He saw us spiritually impoverished. He saw us starving, but he didn't look at us and say, I'm out of here. Hmm? Like, You're from earth? I'm from heaven, I'm going back. He didn't say, you're broken and have nothing to offer me. He didn't say, I'm so therefore I'm gonna take my heavenly ball and go home, he said, no, I'm the bread of life and what I have I offer you. And at the end of his life, in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying for the very ones who hated him, what happened to him? Someone else walked away from him. Another kind of Orpah, but far worse by a Judas, who betrayed him with what? A kiss. Judas kissed and walked away. Jesus clung to us, and for love's sake, he died. And Jesus looked at us and said, where you go, I'll go. Even if you go to the grave, I'll meet you there, your people. Humanity will be my people. The God who made you is my God as well. Where you die, that is on this earth, I'm going to die as well. And he did. And he said, not even death can separate you and me. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And Jesus is greater than Ruth. Because while Ruth risked her life for Naomi, and that's amazing, the greater Ruth gave his life for all of us. And when you see him loving you and loving me like that, you can really cling to him and to others in the same way, with the same power. 1943, 1943, the government of Bulgaria allied with the Nazis, with Nazi Germany, and agreed to deport every Bulgarian Jew. And on March 10th, 1943, when the first 1,500 Jews were loaded on boxcars to be shipped out to the death camp of Treblinka to be exterminated, one man, one person, one Christian did something remarkable. His name was Bishop Metropolitan Kirill. This picture of him from the Bulgarian Orthodox Church. And he organized his congregation to show up that day on March 10th and to do something remarkable. They were all unarmed, and once they got there, Bishop Kirill pushed his way through the crowd, through the people, through the soldiers. He then moved his way to the boxcars, and he stepped inside the boxcar doors, tried to load himself inside, and forced them to take him as well with the Jewish uh, people. But the soldiers wouldn't let him, and they pulled him out forcibly. And when they pulled him out, and he didn't quit or go home, he went and he laid down on the train tracks, In front of the train, and refused to move. And this single act stirred the conscience of his whole nation. The train was stopped. The soldiers got new orders. The Jewish prisoners were all let go. And as a result, not one single Jew was deported from Bulgaria during World War II. And do you know the Bible verse he quoted? As he pushed his way past the soldiers the same scripture he shouted over and over and spoke as he lay down on the train tracks Bishop Kirill, over and over and over again quoted Ruth 1:16 Where you go I'll go where you stay I'll stay your people will be my people and your god my god His sacrificial friendship with them, saved their world. May we offer the same to one another, Mosaic Church. We pray with me, Lord. We come in Jesus' name. We thank you for what we see here. For the power of clinging. Lord, it's just, it's beyond what we can even imagine. And we're so thankful how you clung to us and you didn't let us go. Despite our differences and even in the face, of the cost. Jesus, you gave your life to save us. In turn today, we offer ourselves once more to you. Lord, I'm praying for every life in here, every person. But first and foremost, if we've never said yes to you, and a love like this, today would be our day. We'd simply say, Jesus, I receive you now. Would you forgive me Save me. choose to follow you right now today, Jesus' name. Lord, I'm praying, especially over this next month, we would lean into this again and again. Let it form and shape us to be a people who reflect your people here in the book of Ruth, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.